Hi, and welcome to Local Waves. This is a four-part podcast created by National Museums NI in partnership with the Northern Ireland Science Festival, where we take some time out to chat to four people from across Northern Ireland who interact with the sea in different ways. My name is Claire Ablett and I'm Curator of Transport at the Ulster Transport Museum. Part of our collection includes boats that were locally made for particular areas around our coast. We felt that during this period of lockdown, when people are looking to get out into nature and explore our shoreline, was the perfect time to find out how people today are interacting with the water, how these activities help their mental health and re-establish that connection with the sea. At the end of each podcast, relax as we take a minute out of our day to listen to the sounds of our local waves. In this final episode of Local Waves, we speak to Libby Keatley, a passionate diver who tells us about what's involved from training and equipment to the journey down underwater and the surprising things that can be found in our local waters. Hi Libby, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Local Waves podcast. It's great to have you on. Hi, good to be here. So as this is a Local Waves podcast, I want to firstly ask you where your local waves are. Well, my local waves, I live in Carrickfergus, so I do live very close to the sea, but my connection to the sea would be my love of diving. And I do tend to do that off the coast of Larne, mostly around the Maidens lighthouses and the surrounding rocks there. So I, I, would, I would call that my, my local waves. That's actually not an area I'm very familiar with around the Maidens. Is that a good dive spot for a particular reason? Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't familiar with it because, you know, it's not accessible without a boat or and, and to be honest, before I started diving, I didn't really pay much attention to them. I knew they were there and I could see them, but I didn't really give them much thought. But once I started diving and got to see what was underneath, the, just the, the underwater scenery is lovely. Um, it's like rocky reefs and and before I started I didn't know really what a rocky reef was I kind of thought whenever you hear reef you think of coral reefs and sort of something tropical but we actually have a lot of rocky reefs over here and that's what is mostly around the maidens lovely colorful sponges anemones all growing on them algae and it, it sounds perhaps boring but they're all sort of oranges greens neon greens sometimes yellow red pink a lot of colors I wouldn't have expected to find so I do find it a very colorful dive site and there's also, because of the nature of the rocks and things, and because they didn't used to always perhaps have lighthouses on, there's a lot of shipwrecks around them too, which is interesting, uh, local history point of view, but also it provides a habitat for a lot of marine life. So you get kind of the best of both there. You get a wee bit of local history, a bit of information about those, and then you get plenty of sea critters, which is always exciting to see whenever you're under the water. Wow, that sounds class. Did, who knew that this was all lurking beneath the surface? <laughs> Certainly not me <laughs> before it started. <laughs> Unlike other people on this podcast, your interactions with the sea mainly take place under the water through your scuba diving. How long have you been doing that for? What got you into it? I have been doing it since the start of last year. So um, the first time I put on a bit of scuba equipment was actually November 2018. And to be quite honest, I got involved because I saw an advert on Facebook for a local diving club <laughs> that was recruiting for members. And it, it was something I'd always considered doing, but I, I didn't really think it was something I could do over here. I hadn't really given it much thought. I thought it was more of a holiday activity or, or something I could maybe only do once a year. So whilst I did want to do it, I never bothered training but I saw a sponsored advert of all things and went along to a try dive in Lauren Leisure Centre um, in uh, November 2018 and I loved it and couldn't wait to get back 
So I started then the next time they were running a course, which was January 19. And I have loved it since then. And I was very, very lucky in a way that there was only me and one other lady who started and she actually dropped out fairly quickly. So I was able to whiz through all the pool lessons and get out to the ocean pretty quickly because it was only me there. And I have to say a massive thank you to Philip, the instructor there, who persevered, even though there was only me. He still stuck with it and I, I got whiz through all the pool lessons. And my first go in the sea was February 19th and I absolutely loved it. That's brilliant. And also I find it quite reassuring that you started relatively recently. So I think whenever you hear about people taking up these activities and sports and they've been doing it for years, you think, oh, you know, but you've got lots of experience, but you have only taken it up in the last couple of years and how much you have done in that space of time is is brilliant. Also shows the power of advertising. It certainly does. And to be honest, I think if it had been a few years ago, I wouldn't have been brave enough to go. But I just thought, well, what, what what's to lose? It's just down the road. I'll give it a go. And I haven't looked back since. So definitely give things a go. That's awesome. You've mentioned you had to do the courses. Is there a lot of training involved in scuba diving? Yeah, there would be a fair bit because the, the main the main priority of the training is to make sure everyone is safe because obviously you're in, in the underwater environment and things can go wrong, although it's quite rare. So the, the more training you do in the pool, you get very comfortable with the equipment, you know everything, where everything is without having to look. Um, you do a lot of safety drills, but it sort of it builds on sort of previous training so they start out very slowly and to be honest at the start I thought it was a wee bit repetitive but that actually pays off once you get out into the sea because you've done the skills over and over again so they're not new whenever you get out into such a such a new environment and it makes you feel a lot more comfortable I found and then as you progress then you do repeat back sort of over some of the sort of more basic training but it, it does kind of drill it into your head and should you ever have to use it it's it's not the first time you will have done that drill or do you know the first time you'll have to have tried to locate something you can't maybe see or you know you know where everything is and you're ready to to use your skills if you should need them and your your body is too so it's kind of a bit reassuring to know that everybody has gone through these these training requirements um I've done the first two levels I do BSAC which is the British Sub Aqua Club a lot of people maybe do paddy and things like that but the one that's prevalent over here probably is BSAC is a lot of club diving so I've done ocean diver and sports diver and I'm working on dive leader at the minute, which is the third level. And I have been a wee bit delayed with all the COVID sort of restrictions and things. There's a lot of sort of rescue scenarios which aren't really safe to do at the minute because you're trying to keep your distance, trying to limit contacts. But I'm hoping to get that finished very soon. But yeah, I'm really actually enjoying the training. So it's good, good to do and it makes you feel a lot more comfortable whenever you actually get into the ocean. Did you find that you were a little bit hesitant when you made that transition from going from the pool actually into the sea? Yes and no. no. The first few dives you would do tend to be from the shore, so it doesn't feel as scary because you're, you're making the entry into the water and it's a lot of them is like a sloping entry, so you're kind of slowly going into the water and it's quite reassuring. So I think my first two or three dives were from the shore and to be honest, I was a bit nervous, but I was more excited Although looking back now, I, I was maybe a wee bit scared because I didn't see very much at all. You know, I've, I've been back to the site since and I've seen so much more around me, which I did not notice the first few times. 
But I found the first time going out in the boat was a little bit more scary. The maidens are about 20 to 30 minutes, depending who's driving the room um, from, from the harbour. So um, it gives you a wee bit of time to kind of start panicking about, about things. And it feels like it, it feels like a real adventure. The first, well, I felt like it was a real adventure the first time I went out in the boat because you're quite far from land. And I didn't really think about the fact that the seafloor is all different um, depths. So it's not actually, you know, you're not going out to a big hundred meter drop off. They've, they've picked sites that are shallow, but it feels like you're quite far from, from land the first couple of times. So I, I, did, I was a little bit scared and I did initially feel a little bit seasick and things, but I, I've since got my sea legs and, um, and I just, I can't wait to get out now more than being not nervous or scared anymore. I actually find it pretty relaxing now, but I, I definitely was a little bit scared. The first few times I went out, yeah. I think that's totally understandable, disappearing off the side of a boat into the sea. But it seems like you did most of your training in the pool, though. Just is that up to level three qualification? That's is the same. Yeah, you would you you would start out doing your skills in the pool. So anything new, um, up to a certain level, you would probably do in the pool first. So for ocean diver, you start in the pool, and there's a set series of lessons to work through. And then once the instructor is happy that you've you know tick those off essentially then you then progress to the next level and then you will move into what they would call like sheltered open water like maybe like the likes of port mock sort of a sheltered harbor or something somewhere like that where you still feel safe but you're experiencing some of the conditions that might be in the sea or you might experience more open water but yeah any of the any of the new skills are just repeated in the pool a few times until you're comfortable and everybody's different and different skills are different so um, you, you might need to do one once and you're happy with it or other ones you might want to repeat you know maybe five times six times and then once you're happy and once the instructor is happy then you can move on so usually what happens is you're happy with them in the pool and then you move on and do the same skills but but in the sea and it is it is a lot more difficult to do the things in the sea than maybe you would expect because there's a lot more different conditions and also in the pool you know you're in somewhere safe and you know it's confined and you know you know you can see there's good visibility all around you whereas over here especially you know, you can't see very far. Sometimes it can be dark, it's cold. You know, there's different sort of currents or waves maybe coming in. And, the, and also obviously, you know, you're out in the open water. So it, it's a lot more challenging to do the things out in the sea until until you're comfortable, which I would say I'm fairly comfortable now. But definitely when I first started, it did take a little bit of getting used to being out in the open ocean. There seems to be a, a lot of equipment involved with scuba diving compared to some other water-based activities. Do you think that makes it more difficult to get started on it? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Although that was one of the things I loved about doing it through the club. Um, as they have a lot of equipment that you can borrow. And to be honest, a lot of my stuff, until I knew that I was going to stick at it, I borrowed a lot or else I, I got sort of some second hand through Facebook or through you know, other divers just in the club telling them, oh, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, maybe a BCD, which is the wee jacket that your, your tank goes on to, you know. Um, or regulators or something you know whenever I was building up my equipment I just I did it quite slowly and I, I I picked sort of one thing a month and got myself that and whether it was new or second hand depended on what what the equipment was or how expensive it was so I think it can put a lot of people off but I was able to start relatively cheaply and I did find people were very helpful whenever they they knew you were enthusiastic and they knew that you were just getting started because I think everybody who's doing it has been probably in the same boat and knows that it's difficult when you're starting out to kit yourself out but I would definitely say if, if you wanted to give it a go if you go via a club they have a lot of equipment that you can borrow. You're involved in the project Sea Search can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, um, I actually, that was another um, internet find of mine. I was doing a little bit of researching about diving. I was very keen when I started. So I was busy uh, looking around all sorts of websites and on Facebook and everything, reading as much as I could. Um, and I came across it via the Marine Conservation Society. So they're, they're sort of a wing of that. And I was quite keen to get involved. I sort of read up about it and thought it was just something that would be really nice to be able to give back because I was really enjoying being out in that environment. And I, I saw it as a way that I could potentially do something very practical to help having no sort of biology qualifications or conservation or natural, you know, I don't have anything in that sort of line, but I thought if I could qualify there, it would be a good way of me giving a little bit back, I suppose. So I probably spent, well, about two months, I would say, diving until I came across this and then spent the rest of the time torturing my instructor to, to reach the qualification I needed because you have to get to a certain level to to go on a sea search dive. And I didn't really understand that at the start. But now looking back, you need to be comfortable and competent to be able to carry out a job essentially when you're diving or to even notice a lot of the sea creatures and different things. Um, you need to be very com you know, comfortable with your kit and paying attention to your surroundings, which you, you can't do whenever you're new, you're too busy. It's the same as if you start you know, to drive, say, you know, if there's just seems like there's so many controls and you've got a lot of things to, to concentrate on. Whereas once, once you've settled, you can pay more attention to your surroundings and take note of what's around you. Um, so you need to be a sports diver to be able to go and join Sea Search, which is the second level. So I did spend quite a long time torturing Philip to get to, to get to the required level and the required number of dives. But once I, once I got there, I got in touch with the coordinator, Sally, and she's been very helpful. And I actually got out um, with them October last year to do a couple of dives, the last dives of their season. And it was actually the first time I saw an octopus was on one of their dives, which I wouldn't have thought before I was diving that we even had over here, but we do indeed have octopus over here. And that was a great experience to see. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. And I've been involved ever since with, with them and they've been very helpful. That sounds class. How does their dives differ from your regular dives? Well, you, you can fill out a form for any dive and most of the, I, I would submit a, the, you, you fill out a form of what you've seen and sort of describe the seabed and, and things so it gives them a lot of data. So I would fill out one on most dives that I would do, but if you do a specific dive for them, they'll probably be at a slower pace and maybe focus more on, on individual animals that maybe you might you know, if, if you're with a buddy that it maybe isn't quite as interested in them they might be swimming off quite fast whereas you're busy trying to snap photos of a little critter somewhere or, or you're busy trying to identify and you know some a sponge or a sea squirt or something that they've just gone on past so you know you're trying to keep up with them and then not annoy them too by being too slow or so i would say on one of their their dives um you probably get more of a chance to take in uh, more different sea creatures I suppose and they'll be probably in a targeted area so you'll know you're going in say you know over a particular habitat to look for maybe and you would know certain species that they're wanting you know if you can see any records of if you can find them whereas in my normal diving I would be doing sort of a varied you know some of them would be you know for people who want to do wreck diving say and like and, and I, I enjoy that too you know don't get me wrong I do love that as well and I've done a couple of really nice wrecks over here, but I, I do like the I do like the sea critters and I like getting involved with a bit of conservation as well. So that's the main purpose is to really document and record the marine wildlife then? Yeah, it seemed, yeah, I would say that the main the main purpose is to to get to gather the data and it, it's all kind of it's checked over by by Sally, the coordinator, and then it's sent on to somebody in England then who checks it further to make sure that the records seem okay. 
um, for that area. And if you've spotted anything unusual, um, they might ask you to provide, if you can provide a photograph just to verify and things like that. So that they try and get accurate records of, of what's there. And it's just quite a useful resource to know and you can know the frequency of a species or you can go on and see what species you might find in a certain area so you know what to look for. I just found it added a lot to my diving because I, I started and, you know, maybe my first few dives, I would have seen a crab or a starfish or, or there's seaweed or, but whereas now I would maybe know more what species of crab it is, or I would know what type of starfish or, and, and then I would see so much more because there's a whole world going on under there that, you know, I, I feel very privileged to be able to see. And the more I learn about it, the more I see on each dive. And I feel like it really adds, um, it really adds to the experience for me personally anyway. So do you feel more connected to the sea and the environment now as a result of this work? Yeah, absolutely. I just, I can't wait to get out on a dive, whether it's a sea search dive or whether it's a club dive, or I just, I can't wait to get out because every time you go, there's something different. The conditions are always different. The visibility might be different. The sights are different. Even if you went to say the same shipwreck, you know, on different, and a day later, it could be different. You could have different conditions, different critters, different visibility. I, just, I find that that really good and I, I do, I feel quite connected because I, I was actually speaking to someone, it was probably about a year ago now before all the lockdown, we were travelling up to a dive site and we're driving along the, the shore road at, past the sea and I sort of, I, I made a remark about how I've lived by the sea my whole life essentially and I've never really felt connected to it in, in a real way apart from whenever I started diving then I really started to to get into it and explore it and and realize what we really did have over here whereas um, before I maybe would have just dismissed that we didn't have anything overly exciting over here or I needed to travel to see nice marine life but we do have a lot of lovely sights and marine life here. Have you been traveling abroad to do any dives or have you just been diving in Northern Ireland? I mean, if you count Donegal as traveling abroad. <laughs> um, sure. Sure, yeah. Well, technically, yes. Although the, we, we did go down to Malinhead for a dive trip, but uh, the wind and the weather was atrocious. So we actually got blown out and spent the weekend having some Guinness and waiting for the waiting for the wind to die down. But um, no, That's not a pretty good alternative. Yeah, it, it was still pretty fun. So me, me and one of the other guys who were very new at the time, sort of, we went down to the harbour together in the car and we were busy because there's a lot of kit and stuff. So we were quite nervous still, busy getting our undersuits and stuff on. Um, and the other more experienced people were behind us not putting their kit on or anything. They were just looking at the incoming waves and shaking their heads. So me, me and the other guy were all kitted up and keen to go. And then we're told that uh, no, we should really just get back in the car, and it was time to go. So, but yeah, I I would love to travel a bit, but I haven't I haven't had the chance yet. But I would love to I would love to get a bit of traveling done. So all my diving so far has been done in Northern Ireland. Well, it sounds like we still actually have plenty to see on in our waters as well. So that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, and it was something I didn't know before I started. I really underestimated how much we had here and there's still more I'm seeing every time. So I'm really enjoying it. There's something, I think there's something very nice about uh, seeing things at home. I know people see, for example, bottlenose dolphins, people see them on holiday all the time. It's maybe, you know, I would still find it exciting, but people kind of, you know, it's taken for granted maybe somewhere else, but we have them here too. And a really good experience I remember was just coming out of Lauren Harbour and the a big part of them was just happened to be passing as we were coming out. So they actually joined us and we had, we had two club ribs out at the time. So they joined us and they were sort of bow riding um, on the other ribs and with, you know, with us at the boat. So it was lovely to see them. It was lovely to see them at home. I have seen them on holiday before, but it was lovely. Just there's something very special about seeing them at home. 
and sort of the harbour portress as well we would see them around the maiden sometimes and it's just it's lovely to see them in, in your local waters rather than somewhere you know you maybe imagine somewhere tropical but I, I just really enjoyed seeing them here. It sounds like you've also learned a lot of other skills like marine photography as part of the diving as well. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was quite a steep learning curve. Um, again, there might be a theme coming here that I'm quite keen, but um, I I bought myself a GoPro about two months into diving, despite being told that I should really wait until I have a bit more experience. So, but I ignored that and proceeded to buy it anyway because I was very keen to show other people what I was seeing because I, I just I couldn't believe a lot of the stuff that I would see or you know a lot of the scenery like the shipwrecks and stuff there's a couple of them were sort of sitting upright so they really still do look like a ship they're just sitting on the seabed so I was very keen to record this or photograph this to show others but I was maybe a wee bit keen with my GoPro because I've lost I've lost kind of how many times that I've dropped it and my poor instructor has had to retrieve it or reattach it for me or uh, he was the one who told me not to buy it in the first place so I, I feel like he was probably proved right in that point but it didn't put me off so and I still have it <laughs> so and I moved on from that I, I got myself a sort of a, a little compact camera for taking photos because I, I really I just I love seeing what's under there and I know that a lot of people can't experience it or don't experience it so um, I was keen to record it or take pictures of it so that I could show others or even just to have a record for, for myself of different things that I'd seen but it is definitely more difficult than than you might think. And you definitely need to have your buoyancy nailed to get a good, you know, sharp photograph of something, especially if there's a bit of current, you know, you're, that's moving you and you need to, yeah, no, you need to have a bit of practice to get them clear and sharp. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a skill in itself. You're saying that you share these videos to show other people what is under the sea and what you've been seeing. Do you think that there has been a change in attitudes towards the environment from people being more aware of what we have here? Yeah, I definitely think there's been a change in recent years. Um, more broadly, uh, like the likes of things like Blue Planet 2 reached such a massive audience. Um, I do think it helped, you know, just showing people what was there. Because I think a lot of the time, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And if people are shown what's there or what's happening, they're, they're more inclined to act. And, and I like to think most people want to do the right thing, but they maybe don't have the knowledge or they don't have the information there to act on it. So if, if you provide people with information, I, I feel like they mostly want to do the right thing. And I've certainly found, I'm sure I do annoy people too, because I'm, I'm a fan of sharing my photos. And, and mostly all that I post now would be scuba photos or some picture of increasingly probably obscure sea creatures that people maybe don't even know what they are now. It started out with fish and starfish and things, but I'm kind of getting more to the obscure creature stage. But I just I just think there, everything under there is, is lovely and I just want to share that with people. And I found that people do tend to engage with it and maybe people that I wouldn't have expected to engage with it have actually reached out and said, I really enjoy seeing the pictures or, which surprised me because I thought, well, I know I, I know I like looking at them, but probably maybe a couple of my family will like to see them, but it's other people maybe that I wouldn't have expected that have, have said they enjoy seeing them. So it gave me a bit of encouragement to share them and maybe provide me a bit of information with the pictures to, to tell people what they were looking at. Cause you would get people saying, what, you know, what is that? Or, you know, where is this? Or, you know, so I've tended to maybe put a wee bit more info in then to let people know what's there um, or encourage people to go and learn about what, what is here locally. I just think it's really important to know what's home, what's at home and, and protect it as well. I think it's brilliant as someone who doesn't scuba dive, 
being made more aware of all the different sea critters <laughs> that are there living their lives unbeknownst to us is is fantastic and educating people about that is only a good thing how do you think all this information that you're gathering and recording is do you think it's helping improve the the future for our marine life and our local coastline yeah, I, I think it, in two ways. I think if officially it's probably giving government departments or people doing scientific studies or any other, you know, official studies, I suppose it gives them hard data to work off. But I think as well, on a personal note, I think if people are enthusiastic and they're passionate about the sea and or, or whatever it might be that you that you love, I think if you share that with your friends and family around you and engage with people, I think that encourages people to make small changes too and I think together that that, that will make a difference. I know for me it's, it's certainly like I, I always would have tried to recycle say or you know try and make an eco-conscious decision but it, it's made me think about that even more just knowing the risks that that it poses to marine life and to our oceans it gives it makes me make more of a conscious decision about things and you know maybe I couldn't be bothered rinsing out that plastic carton to recycle that particular one but I, then I have a wee pang of guilt as I go towards the bin and I go back and I clean it but I, I think that that is definitely it's definitely made me think more so I like to I like to think that even if it's only a few people if it makes them think twice or it makes one more person you know, make sure they put something in the bin or, you know, put, make, you know, pick something out that's a paper bag rather than a plastic. I just think every little bit makes a difference. And I know there's a, there's a lot going on, but I, I do think or I hope that, that it makes a difference. And it certainly has made a difference to me. It's, it's definitely made me change some choices and, and slowly replace different, you know, consumables that I would use. I would try and just make small changes and integrate them into my life to make me use less single-use plastic and, and and sort of just whatever changes that I can make, I, I do try and do as much as I can. I know no one's perfect and you can't do everything, but I, I definitely do try. And I feel like that's only more so since I've got so involved in this. It's amazing the benefits that comes with it, just with your approach to the environment now, as a result of just having a couple of years of experience of doing the scuba diving. But I imagine that interacting with the water in the way that you do has an effect on your your general well-being and your mental health as well yeah absolutely um and i know i've been saying about sort of sharing things on social media but one of the things i really do like about diving is whether it's a shore dive whether it's a boat dive you get to the dive site and your phone goes in the dry bag or it goes somewhere you're safe in the car and that's you kind of switched off for the time that you're there and you know shore dive you're sort of straight in under the water and you've you know you're completely immersed in it but even the boat dives I really enjoy even the journey to the site and back again because for me anyway I have my phone sort of locked in a dry box and you know you're kind of more you're more there in the moment you're not being distracted by any social media and I think especially these days everyone's kind of very focused on their Instagrams or the Facebooks and like I, I, I do love them I use them as well but it is lovely to get a break from them and just be there with the people that are with you and sort of have all your distractions away. And I also enjoy the fact that once you're under, you know, you, you, your head's under the water and you, you're there and you're just completely immersed in a, in a new environment and a whole other world. And I, I personally feel like I can kind of leave any problems or any worries I have, I leave them at the surface. 
and I'm I'm whenever I'm on my dive, I'm just enjoying whatever's right in front of me. And a lot of the time, especially where we would go, our club's quite small, so a lot of the time we would just dive in twos and the other two would maybe be in the boat. So or or you know, however many other people we have, but we would tend to be just in in a two or a very small number. So it's only you and your buddy a lot of the time um, under the water at the time. And, uh, you know, it just feels like, it feels like a bit of an adventure sometimes because, you know, no one else is there and it's just, you know, it's only the two of you and, you know, you don't know what you're going to see and stuff. I just, I really enjoy that side of it. It just, it just makes me completely be in the moment, if that makes sense. And just forget about anything else that's going on maybe at the time. I think that's kind of, that. that's helped me anyway. I know things have been a wee bit scary this year at times and a bit overwhelming. So I found that that gives me a bit of headspace being under the water. And I just, I love that feeling of just that initial, you know, going in and, you know, the cold water hits you, but, you know, it only lasts a second and you're used to it. Then you're just, you're in enjoying your dive. And I just, I find it very relaxing now. I didn't at the start. I did find a wee bit terrified at the start. I was too busy trying not to lose anybody or, or uh, you know, not do something wrong. But, but now I, I just... I do find it incredibly relaxing and it's just, it's a lovely experience. I love that way you described it there of leaving your problems at the surface. Can you describe what it's like when you're under the water and you're totally immersed in that world? I, I would find that quite hard. Like, it was, it was quite hard to describe, but I, I have never done anything before that, that makes me feel the same way that I could completely forget about everything else. Like a lot of the time, like I've done things that I've enjoyed, but I've still maybe been thinking Oh, I need to I need to put a wash on or I've got an assignment to do or like you know there's something niggling in the back of your mind that you know you should have been you should have done or you need to do when you get home but I, I do find whenever I'm under the water I, I'm just I'm lost in in the moment um if that makes sense like I'm just really focused on what's in front of me or you know what that fish is or you know having a look you know taking in the wreck or, or something like a lot of the wrecks we have here are quite badly broken up but some of them are sort of quite intact and they're, they're, they're very big. So it's quite a, it's a nice experience to descend onto a big, massive shipwreck. And you're sort of looking, you, can, you know, as far as you can see, it's just this part of wreck. So you're just sort of, feels like a bit more of an adventure. You know, you're exploring somewhere that not very many people have been or, you know, I, I just, I find it very hard to describe, but I couldn't, I couldn't imagine not doing it now. And I, I look forward to every weekend or every evening or every time that I get a chance to go out. Um, I really genuinely look forward to it. Even if it's somewhere I've been 10 times, I still really, really can't wait to go. So, and I hope that never wears out. So, <laughs> but I suppose it, it's kind of like whenever I, like whenever I was a child, I used to get really excited about going to hook in a rock pool or, you know, go and do something or look, look under a stone or see what I could find somewhere. I kind of feel like it's that sort of, excitement or sense of adventure that you have whenever you were a child but you're kind of getting to do something cool again and I, I just I really enjoy it yeah I think we kind of lose that as an adult that sense of adventure and the excitement of trying something new and mm -hmm. exploring you know it's sometimes lost in our childhood and that's quite sad because I think everybody needs that, that yeah. little bit of excitement and adventure no matter what age you are you mentioned the shipwrecks which sound so cool are the shipwrecks of a certain period are they like particular types of boats that you've seen under the water yeah, so there's a whole range of shipwrecks all around the coast, which I was completely unaware of before again, before I started diving. I feel like I'm something quite ignorant here for local history and nature, but um, I just feel like there's so much that I didn't know and so much more that I can learn. The first one I did is the Thrush, so it, um, it sank off Glenarm in 1917, I believe, in a snowstorm. 
And there was the Cherapo as well as in Belfast Lock. It's 1917 as well, I believe. I think most of them are fairly old. I'm not sure what all of them are, but they all seem to be sort of roughly a hundred years ago, maybe some of them slightly older, some of them slightly newer. But I, just, I find it interesting to go and, and look at them because it's a piece of history that's sitting there maybe like a lot of people haven't seen. And there's quite a few very famous ones off my own head too that I'm, I'm quite excited to go and see but that I haven't obviously seen yet. But, but yeah, I just, I, I find it interesting and it's a nice experience to be able to look at something that's almost frozen in time or, you know, that you know there's so much history with it. And some of them people have lost their lives as well. So it can be a bit of a sort of sobering experience too, I suppose, because we're, you know, we're there with all our gear on that allows us to breathe. But, you know, you think of people that obviously met their end there, you know, it would be how scary it would have been and stuff. So it makes you think about that as well. But I definitely, I enjoy exploring, you know, and, and seeing all these different places and different ships and, and different pieces of history. And some of them are sort of, some of them have all fallen apart and, you know, it's hard to distinguish what parts are what, but some of them are quite intact still. And you can see, you can see that it's a ship still, or there's one of them, which is a, a very well-known diver spot, which is down in Ringhaddy and um, Strangford Lock and the bathtub is still um, sitting in the bathroom of the of it because it sank sort of upright so I was uh, amazing <laughs> yeah as like a lot of people told me the joke that's even still full of water which I was uh, yeah but it's uh, maybe not the best joke in the world but although it is it's quite murky down there so it took me quite a few dives to realize that that's what that was in the bathroom because it's quite a it's quite a murky kind of dark dive so but yeah, it's it's nice to see things like that. You can see you know, the, uh, the Loch Gary of Rathlin. You, you can still see the sort of black and white tiles and stuff. And there's different features of it that if you're with somebody who maybe knows or can point them out, um, it's quite interesting to see or else somebody can explain to you afterwards. Like, oh, did you see this particular feature? That was, you know, that was the bathroom tile. That was the bath. That was a bit where a lifeboat would have hung and stuff. It's all, it's sort of all different features are still there if you can if you can find them or if you can distinguish them. So, but I enjoy that side of it too. What's the most surprising thing you've ever seen? Oh, I don't know, actually. I, I think I was most surprised when I kind of hadn't seen all this stuff before. I like at the colours of, of things. And I remember the, the kind of thing that surprised me most. And, and, and to be honest, it is quite a common fish, but I had never seen them before. It was a cuckoo wrasse. And the, like, the male ones are so colourful. Like they're, they're a lovely blue and yellow and orange. And if you're down sort of a wee bit deeper, the light kind of tends to fade and you lose a bit of light. So you're using a torch. So you're maybe looking around at different things that appears quite colourless until your torch light hits it and kind of gives you the colours back. But if your torch hits them, they're just so colourful and it almost, they almost look like reflective. That really surprised me seeing them for the first time or the wee jewel anemones. I couldn't believe the colour of them when I first saw them. Or we get a wee type of hard coral over here, um, Devonshire cup coral. Some of them are like, they're lime green. And I just, I remember the first time I saw one, I was waving away my torch trying to get somebody over to ask, you know, what is this? Because I thought for me, this is something, you know, unusual or it's something, you know, someone needs to look at this or why are you not getting excited? But like, they're, they're all over the place. But I just had never seen them before. And I was amazed at the the really bright colours of something. So I had always wrongly assumed that, you know, a lot of our life over here was maybe a bit more drab or, you know, you wouldn't get those types of colours. It's not a tropical reef or, you know, you wouldn't get that type of thing, but you do. Or, or seeing a conger eel for the first time. 
Yeah, I like I couldn't believe it. And you know, some of them, some of them most of the time they back away. And um, but there's one particular one that seems to be quite used to divers, and it was coming out to have a wee look. So, and I wasn't quite so brave then. I have to say, I was right away behind my dive buddy uh, as quick as I could swim <laughs> to to make sure it got him first, <laughs> not me. But um, <laughs> but it, that was quite surprising. And everything looks bigger underwater as well. So it, 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 to me, it looked massive. Uh, it was quite funny. The octopus was a surprise. I'm trying to think what else. Just, just see it. seeing a lot of the marine life for the first time because you're seeing it in its natural environment. And I, like I, I try my best to take photos or videos and or tell people, but I don't think it does it justice because in, in under the water, you know, there, there's movement and it's just it's in it's. I just don't think my photos or any you know they do it justice of how lovely or how beautiful it is. So I just I I was amazed at just seeing the whole the whole world itself. Like even even the seaweed and things like it, it's lovely under the water. It's just with the movement, the sort of gentle movement. I used to be a wee bit. I was one of those people that didn't want to stand in the seaweed. You know, whenever you're paddling in the sea. But now I absolutely love it. And you know, I love go, you know to see the kelp. But you know, I just think it's it makes a lovely. It's a lovely scene, even looking up, like sort of we would do some of the shallower shore dives. You look up in the summer and you know, the sunlight's coming down through the kelp and it's just, it's lovely. So I, I, I don't know if I could pick one thing that was most surprising, but I just, I, I found the whole experience quite surprising, I suppose. And the more I see, I like, I haven't, don't think I've been to somewhere yet that I haven't seen something that I was surprised by. And the more, the more I look, the more I see, like uh, we get wee sea slugs, nudibranchs over here and they're incredibly colourful, but they're usually quite small. So they're maybe something I would have swam past and not noticed, whereas now I would see them. And I, I, like, I remember the first few times I spotted one on my own, I was really excited. And, but they're just, they're super colourful. And, you know, I just find it so surprising that something that colourful has been there the whole time. Like I, I could have been diving six months before I saw one. And then now I would see one most dives, but... You know, there's something that's been right under my nose and I just haven't seen it. So the, the more I look, the more things I find to be surprised about or or I suppose on the other side of things, like the size of the shipwrecks. So it makes you feel very small. You know, you're, you're in and you're just looking down and they're absolutely massive. And it's probably, you know, you've been close to maybe a ferry or something, but you don't really, well, personally, I don't really, you know, sort of didn't really take it in. But, you know, whenever you're under the water and you're sort of focused, you just notice the real size of things or... Like I just, yeah, I just, I love the whole experience really. You mentioned about having to bring torches and seeing all the wildlife with them. How far down would you go? Well, you, you sort of, you build up. So your ocean diver takes you down to 20 metres maximum, but you certainly don't just jump in and go down to 20 metres. You do tend to gradually build it up. The sports diver, what I'm currently at is 35 maximum. And then I'm working on dive leader, which would get you down to 50 metres. But once you qualify, you basically build up. So I, I'm I'm up to 35 at the minute. And once I'm signed off, then I would do a 40, a 45 and a 50. And then once I've done them, I've got enough experience that I could go and repeat them then. But you should always do something like that with somebody that's got more experience or, or at least as much as you. And somebody that's qualified to obviously go to that depth as well. Because the, the deeper you go, the more air you use. And if you get to a certain time uh, limit or depth, depending the, the, the deeper you go the less time you have before you get into decompression so you have to be careful because that means then you can no longer just go straight to the surface if something is up you need to, you know you always create a ceiling for yourself so you need to have appropriate training to be able to, to handle that or if something goes wrong to be able to fix it underwater in situ rather than you know being able to shoot just up to the surface how long can you stay underwater at those depths 
depends how how deep you go and um, the deeper you go the less time you have at that depth so uh, for example if I was to go to 50 meters I would get very very little time before I started clocking up decompression and it does mount up quite quickly like I have done a few now and you do it does rack up so you can see it clocking up on your computer um, and then you have to then stop at some some people will say to stop at nine meters for a certain amount of time then you send six meters and you have to hang there for a certain amount of time um, and then you can go to the surface so it depends but most of our dives it, most of them would be around about the 20 meter mark and you, you would you would spend roughly half an hour there and then you usually can just you know go straight to the surface or well you do a three minute safety stop and then you can go straight to the surface but you wouldn't really incur a decompression penalty at that sort of depth and time but once you start going deeper your time sort of decreases and you'll see your decompression time racking up and it, its novelty does wear off um, quite a bit like we did I did the lock eye which I believe is around 27 meters I think or thereabouts it does vary a wee bit because the shipwreck is obviously sitting off the seabed so your, your, your depth does vary during the dive but roughly 27 meters and you do clock up decompression time there your dive time might be over your overall time might be over an hour but your actual bottom time could be you know 30 minutes say or you know so it, it just it depends how deep you stay for how long because your computer will calculate it and if you ascend during your dive it'll calculate that as well so but yeah you, you do have to keep an eye on that if you start going deeper it's, it is very important to keep an eye on that it must be so frustrating when you're sitting beside this big shipwreck and all you want to do is explore it and you're like oh no but i have to go back up to the surface now <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like I am one of these people who never wants to leave, but having made that mistake a few times of I just wanted five more minutes, it clocks up your minutes. You have to wait as well. And it does, if you're hanging around at six meters, it does um, it does get a wee bit boring if you've got 20 minutes to do or, or something like that. And um, I know a lot of people bring wee slates and stuff so they can write messages or you can do more training, which I, I do hope to do in the future. Um, it's accelerated decompression and you can you can bring a different gas mix with you say and um, which will reduce your time but you need to have the proper training to do that and the proper computer that can switch um, modes while you're under the water and stuff so it is a lot more training but I, ideally I would like to do that which would give me more bottom time and less decompression time which is the ideal ideal scenario but yeah I, I do find it quite frustrating having to keep an eye because I, I do never want to come up again the other thing you've got to watch out for I suppose is if you're diving the time between high water and low water you do get a wee window of what they would call slack water when the current sort of slows or stops or is very weak compared to what it usually is so that's when we would tend to dive on most sites so you don't get pulled off the reef or you know pulled the direction you maybe don't want to go so you do have to keep your time to a certain window to allow the other set of divers in as well so it's not fair to go and hog the bottom time and leave somebody else in and whenever they get in their you know slack window is gone and they're maybe pulled off the reef or they don't get their dive or so you, there's a lot of things to consider but yeah if, if it was just up to my personal choice I would be staying down there all day if I could but obviously you can't so I love the idea of underwater text messaging to each other just to pass <laughs> the time <laughs> Yeah, because um, mostly we communicate with hand signals and people can get quite inventive with their signals that they use. Uh, but but sometimes if you're not on the same page as somebody, uh, it does get quite, it gets quite frustrating or difficult. There was a one time recently that my dive buddy was trying to communicate that a rock looked like a headstone, but I don't know how on earth he was thinking that I was going to get these signals under the water because I had no idea what he was talking about. So it ends up with you just shrugging your shoulders and swimming off or, <laughs> or something like that. Whereas if you have a, a slate, 
you can just write the wee message on and show your buddy um, and it makes it a lot easier or you can pass the time a bit more uh, if you're hanging about doing a decompression stop your sign language only goes so far so instead it can help pass the time a little bit and, and give you a wee bit of a sort of a conversation I suppose that is a very specific sign language to, to try and sign to you <laughs> Well, he was very disappointed I didn't get it. <laughs> so not sure what that says now, but uh, yeah, I was a disappointment on that time. I'm not surprised. I don't think I would have got it either. No. <laughs> um, Livy, thanks so much for chatting to us and telling us all about your experiences under the water. It's really been eye-opening and it sounds absolutely fascinating. The last thing I want to ask you is what's the best thing about your local waves? Well, that's a hard one. I think the best thing um, about my local waves, I feel very lucky to have the maidens um, as my local because I do think there are beautiful dive sites and there's such a variation. So the best feeling for me is getting on the rib and just heading out of Lauren Harbour, just heading towards where I know I'm going to get a nice dive um, and I know I'm going to forget about everything that's worrying me or annoying me and I can just focus on being there and enjoying the experience and that feeling of just getting under the water and just wait and see what what I might find this time because it's always something different or you know it's just I, I just I love that that's my favorite thing I think it's just that that as soon as you get your head under the water and you know that right this is dive time now and you can just focus on on everything right in front of you that's that's my favorite thing you certainly inspired me to take a visit out to the Maidens now. It sounds absolutely beautiful. I think I'm their biggest fan, but uh, I, I love them, I think. I, I really like them sort of on the surface. They're quite cool. They're kind of two big lighthouses. One's an old one, one's sort of newer one. But there's so many sort of, so much under the surface there that a lot of people don't get to see. And I just, I think it's beautiful. Thank you so much, Libby. That is brilliant. I look forward to seeing more of your dive photos online. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I loved talking to Libby and her enthusiasm for diving in our local waters is infectious. I feel like I've just listened to a nature podcast and I am amazed by how many diverse sea critters we have. Although the conger eel sounded a little scary, I think I would have used my body as a human shield too. If you want to find out any more about the Sea Search project that Libby mentions, check out their social media and website at seasearch.org.uk. As this is the final episode, we hope you've enjoyed our time on the water and hearing from local people about their local waves. The podcast will be available after the Northern Ireland Science Festival has ended, so please feel free to go back and listen again. In the meantime, in this final episode, we head to the Lauren shoreline for our wave time. Appropriately, we made this recording looking out to the Maiden's Lighthouse, which Libby mentions in her interview. The waves were calm and we were surrounded by all manner of coastal birds poking through the seaweed for any morsel they could find.
The Local Waves podcast was created by National Museums NI in partnership with the Northern Ireland Science Festival. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review to help others discover it for themselves. To find out more about the Ulster Transport Museum and our collections, visit our website at nmni.com.